Good, Randy. How are you? Excellent. Thanks so much. Really excited to have you here. Excited to be here. Awesome. Looks like we're uh, both in our home offices. You down in Rye? I am in Rye, New York. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, uh, re really excited to have you on. Uh, you are uh, episode number 82 of Tech Sales Insights. Uh, for those who don't know, Andy O'Brien is at Open Legacy, the uh, SVP and GM of North America, and definitely has uh, lots of great words of wisdom and uh, some good stories to sh uh, share. His uh, topic is building trusted relationships, which is uh, something that's always critical and important. And uh, we are sponsored by uh, Alexander Group, who's a uh, go-to-market and sales compensation sponsor of Sales Community. Uh, for those by chance that are not members, uh, we actually have a uh, special going on. You can get a year free. Uh, maybe, Tucker, you can post it if you go to uh, salescommunity.com slash June free. Uh, definitely lots of great content if you want to learn more, sell more, uh, network with others as well. Uh, I'll just put in my uh, plug for uh, Alexander Group. Uh, they uh, provide revenue growth consulting services to the world's leading sales organizations. When clients need to grow revenue, they look to Alexander Group for data-driven insights, actionable rec recommendations, and results. And uh, on a personal note, they've got a, a fantastic group of uh, partners that think have been there all kind of you know 20 plus mm -hmm. years, but uh, very, very competent in uh, the sales consulting area have uh, helped out a lot of uh, sales community advisory board members in terms of some key decisions and kind of what to do and how to do it, have access to some uh, gr great models. So anyway, I can't say enough about them. And then we also host, uh, I think most of them have been invite only uh, we uh, webinars uh, and uh, events as well that uh, go over really, really well. So, all right, well, uh, uh, unlike some of our guests have known Andy for a long time, I think it's been, uh, 41 years since uh, we started at BC in the fall of 1981. Uh, you've been you've been able to keep your hair a little bit better than uh, I have. Uh, we've been in uh, each other's w weddings. Uh, Andy's actually been in both of mine. And uh, we started the same uh, day at uh, EMC, something May 20 something or other in uh, 1985. What was, by the way, was that? so I was th 33 was my employee number. I just remember that because Larry Bird. Do you know what yours was? I don't know. It had to be... 32 or 34 or 30. Actually, I think it was 35. I may be making that up. So uh, I think it would have been alphabetical. Maybe it was before you because it all becomes, it goes before yeah. us. So it must have been 32, 31. Okay, 31. Anyway, good, uh, good, good factoid. And then uh, early on, Andy uh, built the uh, EMC presence in New York that really became a beachhead for growth. Uh, Wall Street and financial services, um, you know, probably the first 10, 15 years were you know, definitely vital to EMC's success. And then uh, Andy went over to grow the Americas region for Green Plum and Pivotal, also created and ran the uh, Technology Select Group at uh, Dell for the Americas. And uh, interestingly enough, he actually started off advising Open Legacy and uh, liked it so much, decided to join full time. I can definitely vouch for firsthand that Andy's great for growing sales teams, definitely lots of uh, respected relationships. You'll hear more about relationships today. Uh, but definitely with uh, customers, partners, even competitors, which is unique. And I'd say most importantly, he's a great, great husband and father. So uh, feel free to disagree with anything I said, Andy, but uh, awesome to have you and thanks. Great. I'll agree with it all. Behind <laughs> closed doors, I'll agree with it all. There you go. All right. So maybe uh, tell us a bit about your uh, professional background. So, I mean, you, you hit on it, uh, you know, started in the early days with, with, uh, with you and, and a few others at, at EMC and then, um, you know, opened up the, the, the office uh, in, in New York. And, you know, when the, when the company, when EMC, the company started hitting the really big growth trajectory in the, you know, in the mid to late 90s uh, with, with the high-end storage product, you know, help to, to, to build that, that selling organization that, and that customer base inside of New York and kind of help with others, you know, build their global account program. Um, and, and then, you know, went on to, when EMC made an acquisition in 2010 of Greenplum, which was a small West Coast uh, data analytics software company, I went in to build and, and run that selling force for the, for the Americas. And that, you know, that was a national job. And then that morphed into, into Pivotal, where the, the companies took assets from VMware and, and EMC and acquired some assets and, and built Pivotal software. 
And uh, you know, that went on and Pivotal eventually went public and then got acquired by VMware inside the EMC family. And then as you know, when, when Dell made the acquisitions of, of everything, went in to help build a, uh, you know, a uh, kind of a, a, you know, a high-end touch, you know, selling, you know, uh, capability for, for, for large clients that we could represent all the assets that Dell Technology had, had acquired. And then, as you said, you know, left in, then some consulting works, works, some small companies, one of them being Open Legacy. Awesome. And uh, we have uh, Peter Bell chiming in here. I cannot thank Andy enough for giving me my first shot and in introducing me to EMC in 1986. So much appreciated. So, uh, Peter Bell, super successful uh, entrepreneur, VC, uh, adv advisory board member. And uh, yeah, Peter, but I think the, the story was he was uh, was a C, uh, working to be a CPA, PwC. And the, uh, the final nail in the coffin was that he had to count the uh, pages in a phone book or something like that using uh, whatever the cal calculator machine was at the time. So right. uh, pretty funny. And then uh, Pat, Pat O'Dell says, uh, great to see you, Andy. Uh, one of EMC's first superstars that I learned a lot from. So very cool. Thank you. Now, Thank you. That was, um, he was in, at the time, New York and New Jersey were different districts, right? Uh, yes. Yes. And Pat was uh, New Jersey, right? Pat, yeah. Pat and Greg Gimon were in Jersey and, 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 and I was in New York. So, uh, so how, did, how did Greg get Pat instead of you? Uh, I don't know. I don't think Pat must have lived over over in Jersey. Well, that must have been it. But Pat, Pat was great. Awesome. Take care, so take for, uh, there you go. So for those uh, watching, certainly feel free to chime in uh, with any comments like Peter and Pat. Uh, also, uh, you know, more importantly, feel free to ask any questions. Uh, you know, Andy's a fantastic resource. So, uh, Andy, maybe tell us a little bit about Open Legacy. Sure, Open Legacy, it's an application modernization platform that basically um, extends, generates uh, digital services from, from legacy assets. So if you're a large bank insurance company manufacturer and you have decades of application and data that are exist on you know, Oracle mainframe, you know, SAP applications, and you're trying to create a digital service for it, we're making that connection from 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 what, an old legacy app into it into a digital app. So we're, our target market are, as I mentioned, large large companies that have been around for a while that have accumulated a lot of that uh, you know, a lot of that value and, and information. So when I here in the in the Americas and gotcha. So it's pretty is your kind of target market then is must be pretty small. Then it's only what kind of a few hundred accounts or thousand accounts. No, it'd be it'd really be you know probably thousands of accounts. And be, the prerequisite is that you have to have legacy assets. You know, yeah. maybe like I would say maybe a thousand or less, but you have to have some you know environment that has legacy assets that you've built over over time. And you also have to have the initiative that you're trying to create digital assets out of the out of what's been accumulated and um, and, and and used. Uh, so it, the, the market's a little bit broader than a couple of hundred, but you know we're as we're a small organization, we're we're focused mainly on top banks, top insurance companies, top manufacturers, top healthcare providers. Uh, and then, what kind of level do you sell to in terms of uh, kind of who are the decision makers? Kind of CIOs or? Um, yeah, I mean, our, our selling will obviously touches a CIO, um, just given the, the nature of the technology that we're touching. Um, you know, I would like to say everybody wants to sell to the business unit. Not many business executives are overly interested in taking a technology conversation. So a lot of what we do ends up being with the application development side. So we look for the uh, for the, you know, the IT community that's actually interfacing with the business and, and building applications on behalf of the business. And those are those are really where we get into the, the, the most interesting and, and the fastest discussions. Wow, that's great. Any good uh, customer story that you can tell? Oh, uh, and we've, we've done a lot of work with, uh, with, with uh, uh, well, yes. So with, with, with Citibank, uh, we, we've done a lot of development work there and helping them, uh, you know, retool some of their applications from a, from a mobile perspective. Uh, you know, we've done, you know, a lot of work with some of the insurance companies, MetLife and, and Liberty Mutual, you know, all around uh, compliance, all around extending, you know, legacy applications for, it's all really based upon, you know what customer interactions that clients are, are trying to are trying to have with uh what companies are trying to have with their clients i should say 
That's great. And then is it a kind of like a one-time license or ARR SaaS or what type of model? It's a, it's a, it's, it's a SaaS based offering. Uh, it's, we sell as a subscription, uh, and, you know, we'll do it on a, you know, on-prem basis. We'll do it in any, any public cloud. Uh, but it's a, it is an ARR subscription based model. Oh, that's great. And, um, any, uh, competitors? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of uh, of you know do it yourself. Where there, there's a lot of you know middleware that clients will use. So, so the concept of what we're doing is not new. It's not revolutionary. You know, it's something that that needs to happen. So clients will put together uh, you know with, with some middleware that might be from companies like MuleSoft and, and services to kind of create that 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 bridge from from old to new. Uh, you know, probably a, a more direct competitor would be IBM with like ZOS Connect. That can go and provide some level of functionality from from mainframe into the uh, into a digital format, but that's all specific to the IBM technology. Uh, but you've got some uh, pretty good household names as customers. A lot of those are IBM's largest customers, so uh, Open Legacy must be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the when when people listen to our story and understand our technology, uh, we get stopped a lot early in our our conversations with clients saying, "Look, I get it. You're just you're making this very you know, easy connection from old to yeah. new." So what we're doing is a uh, is a is a very valuable component in people's modernization efforts. Oh, that's great. Um, and then, kind of coming in as a relatively new leader. Um, you were kind of a consultant. I know sometimes I've done some exposure to companies and then took a full-time job. Uh, were there maybe some things that people might have said or done to you that they were kind of regretting once you became their boss? No, uh, I, I no, I don't. I don't think so. I didn't really have that that experience. And uh, I'll thank Peter. You know, back to him when I was looking at at these companies and I was considering doing something full-time. Peter was like, "Hey, listen," because I like. Open Legacy when I first met them. And I had the advantage of working as a consultant for them for about, you know, probably six or eight, eight months. So I got to really know the organization well. I got to know the people well. My interaction was always with the lens that, hey, I may end up taking a permanent position here. So make sure that my interactions with them are, are very, you know, positive and inclusive. So I didn't have much of that dynamic. Gotcha. Uh... Anyway, I've got some different stories I could tell, but anyway, uh, and then uh, if if we were uh, to talk to the CEO and say, okay, what is it that you know Andy's done to provide the biggest impact? Any kind of one one or two things in particular? Um, I, I would say uh, like understanding how large, complex organizations uh, build solutions and how they acquire select partners and acquire technology. I, I think just having that institutional knowledge of having done that for a long time, uh, you know, I've done it more in the financial, financial services world than, than anywhere else. Uh, but I have done it in auto and, and some of the other, you know, you know, industries, um, kind of knowing, you know, personally who to go to within some accounts to go and talk to, 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 to start telling the story and, and investigate and discover what good could possibly be happening. And also knowing that as you're going into these campaigns, like who are other who are the other constituents that you need to get involved in these you know, in these you know selling motions where, you know, you know while what we're doing is a is a pretty simple element of it, it's it's touching the you know the you know the the really innards and the lifeblood of what these companies are doing. So just being sensitive uh, sensitive to that. Yeah. So you can have a company that has you know great product, great product market fit. But if right. you don't know how to represent it and sell it to whoever it is, it doesn't matter. So certainly right. uh, probably a, a much needed skill and uh, even able to add, add a lot of value, which is great. Um, I just add also commercially, like having an understanding about how commercially this, thing, this, this should be offered to a client, like having some consistency about you know, what we're providing, what the, what the value request is for, you know, for the solution so that we have a, we have a fair model, we have a consistent model and a repeatable model. So we're not doing like a one-off in every interaction. Oh, that's great. So uh, what about if you are talking to a recruit, um, kind of what would be some uh, nuggets uh, about the culture or anything else in terms of why the, uh, they should work at Open Legacy? Um, yeah, it's, I would say that the, the people, um, and it, with the, the um, you know, over the last number of years, there's been a, a ton of investment in, in new technology companies. And there's a lot of new founders that are out there. There's a lot of new people that are that are building companies that are having levels of responsibilities and influence that they haven't had. And I think you're going to have a, um, a a mixed 
uh, experience across the board um, in terms of the your personal interaction with uh, with, with people. So, um, you know, I would say, you know, a selling point for Open Legacy would be the quality of, of the people, you know, not obviously an in intellect, but that's kind of, uh, you, you kind of need that if you're going to be, if you're in a stage where you're successfully building a business. But I, I would just say, uh, you know, how you think about the world, the world meaning how you want to have your interactions with your customers, how you want to have your interaction with with employees, I think is super, super critical. So having that, you know, that experience, you know, inside of Open Legacy in particular is was really, really important for me. And as I'm talking to people looking to join, I'd be like, look, look who the people that you're going to be interacting with every day. You know, you're spending an awful lot of time in a small company, so there's really nowhere to hide, right? It's like being a part of a small family. You get, you've got to find a way to get along, or if not, then you know, you, you should, you know, both sides should probably take a pause about what, what they want to do. So, you know, I would say that we have a very involved uh, advisory board. So uh, some, you know, former execs from Pivotal, <coughs> excuse me, Pivotal Software, where I came from, from IBM. So I think um, there's a lot of executive eyes and, and helpful, you know, eyes and ears and arms that are that are here to help. Oh, that's great. And they get to uh, work with you and learn from you. Sure. That's all free. Big benefit. There you go. So our uh, the the title that you picked was building trusted relationships. Uh, tell us more. Um. So you know, I, I always think back in the you know the parts of my career, and, and the, the I would say the the most compelling time in my career was building Pivotal Software, and I, I say that not because of the success that we had in the market, but the interaction I was able to have with with Paul Paul Moritz who. Uh, was our CEO and, and and chairman. And for those of you, if you don't know who Paul Moritz is and you're on the call, like Google Paul Moritz and understand his background and what he did to build Microsoft and what he did to, to, to run VMware. So you may not be a household name, but you should, as a homework assignment, go and understand what uh, what he what, what he's done. And we we built Pivotal from scratch. So we we when when Paul started the the, the company, he you know, said, listen, we got a, we got an ability to, to start from, to, to write our own story here, or start right at the beginnings of our, our, of our own story. And he's like, hey, we should do it in, in a couple of ways. Number one, we should do it with passion. Two, we should do it with respect. You know, three, we should do it by learning to do things differently and being intellectually curious. And four, do it in a way where we're, we're giving more than, than you get. And when we have success, you know, make sure that, you know, we do it in the right way so that when that success is, is achieved that, you know, the, the people around kind of take a look at you and say, wow, you, you really did it the right way, right? So no one's going to begrudge you for what you did. You didn't run over people. You, you, you really did it the right way. So that's a, a message that, you know, is really, I just read that resonated with me and something that I really tried to internalize. So when I talk about, you know, building, you know, trusted relationships, and I've done a very poor job at that, and I've done a very good job at that. Um, it's really about well, doing the... You've done, a, you've done a poor job of it? Is there uh, anything you could share? Yeah. Um, I would say early in my, you know, EMC career, uh, when we're building the, the business in, in New York, uh, you know, it, we were having a, a tremendous success. And we were, so you know, age, we were so age wise. This is kind of mid twenties, uh, probably a little bit older, probably in my, in my early thirties, but anyway, so we're having a ton of success and we, my team led by me, we're running over everybody inside of, of, of our own company to, to get things done and not having a whole lot of empathy or, uh, or communication or respect for, you know, for, for colleagues. And I remember I got a, my boss at the time did a, a 360 review of uh, all the leaders and uh, it was a scale of one to five, five being the, the, the best where the, your other functional groups came in and ranked you. And, uh, you know, my opinion of myself, and my ego were way at the top. And when I got these results back, my, my scores were literally on average, like two, maybe in the company. Oh, there you go. You were you still there. Now you're back. Yep. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Randy, are you there? Yes. Andy? Tucker, can you hear? Is it my connection or his? Oh. All right. Tucker um, says. Tucker, you're saying you can hear me for some yep. reason. Tucker says, we. yeah, I can hear you. All right. Now he's out. So, sorry. 
No problem at all. All right. That's what happens. All right. So Andy, can you speak? Randy, can, can you hear me? Yep. We're good. Yes, we can hear you. I can't hear you for some reason. So all I right, guess I'll continue great. talking and hopefully the audio great. on my end comes back. All right. But the, the, the lesson that, that I, I learned was the, I had an opinion of myself that wasn't shared by the extended team and, and that, uh, you know, made me feel poorly. It also made me understand that, you know, we kind of reflect and, uh, and understand the value that these, these team members were really providing to the success that we were having, you know, in, in the market. So it was a, it was a wake up call for me where, uh, you know, I had the ability to kind of adjust my approach and, you know, coming out of that, I spent a lot of time understanding, um, uh, you know, what, what, were, what were people's motivations, what were people's, you know, emotional currencies and, and things of that nature. So that was, that was kind of a wake up call for me. Gotcha. All right. I'm, I'm just going to digress. Can you hear me? Andy, Andy? I'm not hearing you. All right. Tucker, can you hear me? Uh, let's see here. Sorry about this. All right. Tucker says he can hear me. Uh, Andy says he cannot. Uh, let's see here. So for some reason, Andy cannot hear me. You're going to have to freelance a little bit, Randy. Yeah. Okay. Got you. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Randy, maybe I'll, I'll go out of this and come back in. Uh, yeah. Tucker, what do you think? Sorry, everybody. Uh, let's see here. All right. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and try it? So everybody, we're going to do a pause. Hey. Yeah. So maybe try and go out and back in and Eric. Yeah. People said they can hear both of us. So, uh, maybe just you not being able to hear. Right. Um, oh, he's going out, come back in. Uh, Andy, can you hear me? Andy, Andy, well, um, take some liberties here. So Jack Salerno says, I'll take some credit for your early sales success from my introductions to all my IBM accounts where you swept the floor with EMC after <laughs> I went back to business school. Yeah. So some, uh, I'm back. can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear okay. me? Yes, I can. Sorry about that. All right. So just uh, Jack Salerno. So he was a uh, great rep in uh, New York City. So hopefully statute of limitations passed. But if I remember, I think we went out to dinner and uh, were able to maybe learn of some of the accounts that he had. And he uh, disappeared for years and came back. And uh, lo, lo and behold, they were all EMC. So uh, I'm, I'm not asking for you to confirm or deny. So we'll, we'll just keep okay. rolling, Andy, all right? Right. <laughs> so. And then uh, Jamie Mariner says, uh, sounds like trying to hear someone at a mod party. Interesting. And then um, let's wait till we're done with this. And then um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to Rachel's uh, uh, tuck, uh, Tucker. So anyway, so very authentic of you. I mean, not, not, not you know, uh, as an authentic leader and any great leaders, I think, are always very open to sharing not just the good, but in your case, you know, I think certainly something that you, uh, you know, learned from and it's probably had a profound impact on you rest of your career and your it's probably one of the things that have uh, made you so great and certainly i'm sure uh, very aware of that in any situation going forward right right for sure awesome all right any other things that come to mind for you around building trusted relationships i, I would just say on the on the other side of it um and I, I learned this just from observing people like joe tucci and how he interacted with clients and how the interaction didn't always need to be you know chasing a transaction it had to build be, be with what could I do to be helpful to to a client in a, in a situation? And uh, in 2008, when the credit crisis was hitting, and the, the banks in in particular the banks in New York were were going through a really really rough time, you know, because what I had seen Joe do, I picked up the phone and I started calling all the customers that we had, and, and not saying and not asking for a deal, not asking for like next steps or status, but just saying, hey, listen, I'm calling you as a friend. You know, we have resources that are there. They're they're going to stay there through through this time. So don't worry about trying to get SOWs extended. You know, if you need equipment, that needs to be there on the floor. So I'm, well, I'm here to offer you whatever you need. And I remember hearing from multiple people saying that that's like the only call I've gotten in the last like two weeks, Andy. That's been from people offering to help me. Most of the calls have been from customers asking like where their money is or you know when were the invoices going to get paid. So I think that conversely, I, I think when you you know look at you know empathize and kind of look 
at what the uh, how the customer is feeling and how they're and what they need. I think that was a uh, an example of the more positive side. Fantastic and probably extremely relevant to you know the times now, right? So from a sales 100%. situation, you can see you know a lot of salespeople are probably saying, well, you know. XYZ account doesn't have money or they're downsizing or cutting, they don't have any money to spend. I'm going to stay away. But what a fantastic opportunity is, as you exhibited, right? To kind of just show up, help in any way you can, or offer or be a sounding board. And um, the I've got you know, one of my several mentors is that you know Jack Connors and said it, you know, everybody's always there for people in the good times, but it's you know, when they're on their bad times that you know that's when it's a much smaller list. And you know, not only is it sincere and genuine, but they're going to remember that the rest of their lives. So, I think that the same thing goes through not only in business sales situations, but certainly in uh, personal situations as well. For sure. So, great. Um, so, before we move on, any other things around uh, trusted relationships? No, I, I would just say it needs to be something that's consistently done. You know, it's not just about taking you know a potential client or a client you know out to a, to a social event. I think it's going into every interaction and leaving there and understanding, you know, what did you contribute to that interaction and, you know, what was learned during that interaction and how did you make people in that interaction feel, whether that's a, you know, an external sales call, whether it's an internal planning meeting, uh, forecast meeting, but just being very self-aware of the, of what you provided, how it was received. And you know, putting your, yourself in the um, you know in the, the you know the the behind the scenes and how other people are are, are viewing the you know the, the value that was brought to that to that interaction. But it's you know it's something that needs to be done, you know, in, in you know in every interaction you try to need to try to do in every interaction that you have, and that builds trust over time, and uh, that is a, a good place to be, and uh, it creates long term relationships, and it creates the you know all the benefits of that come every you know ninety days in, in selling cycles and every every you every you know measurement that is that's out there. So that's great. Hey, were you around for the Walter Brown days at EMC, or you may have already left? Uh, no, I don't remember Walter Brown. Brought anyway, so he's a lot of great things, uh, but he always said, kind of know you know know me, like me, trust me. So, right. you know, a lot of times people think, oh, it's the company that's going to make or break me. But, you know, if they do know you, they like you and they trust you. And it's that trust, you know, over time that helps people. Yeah, I'll say sell more and uh, partner better. So, all right. Uh, all right. So, Tucker, let's get to Rachel's question. Thanks, Rachel. So for dis full disclosure, she's uh, one of the awesome executives at Alexander Group. Uh, what type of talent are you looking for that can focus on IT and potentially the functional buyers? Uh, what companies do you typically hire from? So um, in terms of the space that, that we're in, because it's a um, in the application modernization space, I think you need somebody that's got a, a level of technical awareness. Uh, not, not somebody that needs to get into the bits and bytes, but somebody that really understands how technology works and the and and uh, you know from a little bit deeper than just than just a business level, and kind of with that, I would say like an intellectual curiosity. So uh, you know for you know who's going to come in and especially in a small company uh, that has you know limited ability to uh, onboard people and we want to do it, but our, our resources because we're out chasing deals, but you know who is somebody that's going to go in and and be a self learner. And really understand how the, what the market is and what the technology does. So I, I think that is uh, is a, an attribute that is really really important for us. Um, you, you know, you talk about general sales capabilities and grit and determination and like go get itness. You know, that's all that that's all you know that's all there as well. Um, and I think a collaborative approach is you know is is important too along the lines of some of the things that I said. Like you, you can't go in and do this on your own. So how are you going to enable? your own internal ecosystem to yeah. you know, be successful. So th those are, I think, are, are really important attributes. Great. And uh, Eric chimes in. He said, I work with the EMC team in oil and gas during the dual build, dual sell strategy. Uh, great team at EMC. So I don't know who Eric was with at the time, but anyway, interesting. Um, so uh, so moving on. What's that? I think HP. Uh, okay, so it was when we had the HP EMC deal. I think so. I don't want to speak yeah. for Eric. Kind of an oxymoron, I guess, to a certain degree. But uh, anyway, so Andy. Uh, oh, Dell. Well, he was at Dell. There you go. Okay, there you go. A little bit better there. So uh, anyway, so Andy was a uh, contributor as uh, several advisory board members were to my book. 
Uh, Tucker, if you want to post it, it's uh, salescommunity.com slash book. And uh, Andy has a couple of great write-ups. Uh, maybe you can tell us about them. Uh, one of them is playing for the consolation prize, a, a great concept. Right. Can you tell us more about it? <laughs> sure. I mean, nobody wants the consolation prize, right? We want the we want the big prize when, when you're in sales. But uh, reality is you're not always going to win the big prize. And this kind of goes back to, you know, building a trusted relationship and how you behave and how you have that interaction. So it, it's like, how do you not turn over tables and, and chairs and, and scream at a client or people internally when when you lose a deal? But it's like, how do you how do you regroup? And how do you take a look, you know, how do you not give up in a, in a way that, you know, can, is there, is there another element, is there another area that you can start another selling campaign? And so it can, in EMC parlance, it was always like, Hey, if you, if you lost a production, you know, workload, could you go in and get a development workload? But how, how did you do it? And how did you go through that interaction in a way that the customer had a good feeling about it and was willing to let you engage in another opportunity? And, and also, also with, with your teammates, how do you get, how do you get your teammates to be uh, inspired to come and follow you for, the, for that next opportunity? So it's really along the lines of, of, of that kind of keeping your eye out for the, you know, for the, for the next, for the next Opportunity. So you basically just get a foot in the door, maybe smaller than you want, and then you can kind of supersize it from there. Right. But that the key is, is that interaction that you're going to have that's going to get you that foot in the door, yeah. right? So it's it's how, how you're perceived or when you, you know, what's the taste people have in their mouths when you're, when you, when you, you know, go through a process like that and you don't get the answer that you want. How do you turn that into something that can be positive for you? Yeah, absolutely. And then your uh, other one was uh, reverse timeline, which is another classic. Yeah, so I we played. I told you I played golf with uh, a friend of ours from college who's like a, a plus one handicap, and we're played golf, and we're talking about reading putts. And he's like, Andy, when you read a putt, he goes, you have to look at the at, like where the ball is going to enter the hole. He goes, so like don't look look like so take a look at the at the slope, and you figure if it's a side hill lie, the putt the ball is going to come in from from the side of the side of the cup. So in my mind, that was so when you do it like a reverse timeline and, and on a deal, like where do you find what what side of the cup is that deal going to come in on, and then kind of tracing all the all the way back to like where where you're putting from, where the deal started, or where you happen to be at that point in time, and kind of chart out what things need need to happen in order for that deal to come in. So in a sales perspective, at the end of the day, the ball's in the in the cup when you've got you get handed an order. But what needs to, you know, but before that order, you have to have a contract. Before the contract, you have to have a, you know, a budget approval. So it's more just being very prescriptive about, you know, what's needed in, uh, in, in getting, you know, transactions done. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, so many times I think people are, you know, loosey goosey. People think, oh, sales is just a, you know, kind of, you know, play it by ear thing. But, you know, as we know, it's, it's, it's really a science. And the best sales professionals, the ones that really can cover cover you know every single base around kind of all the different factors that you need to consider, right? And, and what I learned, clients love being part of that process generally. So when you sit with the client and be like, "Hey, I'm trying to figure this out. Can you help me?" I, I think it's don't don't try to do it without you know try to involve the client in that. And they, my experience has been almost universal that they want to be part of that process. Yeah, and if they, don't, uh, if, they, if they don't, then it's that's telling you a different that's giving you a different you know, yeah. reaction, different, yeah. different answer, probably not the one that you want. Yeah. I was talking to Bill Hogan this week and we we're kind of joking about the uh, you know, importance of uh, recap notes. I've got a, um, a LinkedIn, I've got kind of backlog of stories. So I've been doing one, I might do a, a two week, but yeah, you know, I might, might be old school. So one of them we're talking about was uh, just important of, you know, prompt recap letters and then just making sure you're going through, you know, if there's any concerns, what the concerns are, what the next steps are, what's involved in getting the uh, kind of funding done. Does it have to go to a bid? Is there a board? Is there some higher up person? You know, do they have the money available? And kind of just going through in that recap note, not just what happened in the meeting, kind of everything that needs to happen, including and then, you know, therefore we anticipate we're getting our order, you know, whatever, June you know, June 25th, which is then five days before the end of the quarter. And we need it before the end of the quarter in order to honor the pricing that we gave you, you know, but just kind of all those details, you know, today you just see so many people not covering it or they say, oh yeah, you said we're going to get it. I'm like, well, how do you know, unless you can kind of be very prescriptive and right. recap that back and then CC everybody else because everybody else always has different agendas. It was interesting. I had an experience in the last week where uh, we had a, uh, a meeting with a potential large banking client and we had a large integrator. Accenture was part of this meeting and it was myself and it was one of our lead technical developers. And it was a 45 minute meeting. I took, you know, two and a half pages of notes 
And when I debriefed with my colleague, it was amazing. Like the, how not, it wasn't drastically different, but there are different elements of things that I thought I heard and that he thought that he heard that were like not aligned. Right. So that was a really good opportunity to go back and clarify with the client, like big things like, you know, yeah. So it was like being diligent, having those notes and recapping and understanding because, you know, in a 45 minute conversation that's going fast and your mind's working and you just got to make sure you're capturing everything and playing it back. Yeah, totally. Um, so value selling is a concept that we've uh, been you know working with a lot over the years. So I assume you would uh, agree that that's an important concept, right? Right. And so maybe relative to open legacy, kind of how would you equate that? Say if you're in an elevator with a CFO, what would you say to either if they're already a customer or, you know, a deal that you're trying to get approved? Right. So, I mean, our, our value proposition at open legacy, it's kind of like what, what it was at Pivotal. You know, like we don't we it, it's not a good strategy for us to go in at a senior level and say, hey, I can save you 20% in cost or I can give you 20% improvement in speed because as a small company entering into a, into a, a market that's filled with a lot of large um, you know, partners that are there, that's, that's kind of like a non-winning strategy because somebody can always tweak that and, and, uh, and your, what you view as your value may not be what, the, what ultimately it is. So you know, at, at a high level from an open legacy standpoint is, hey, how, how, can, we, how can we change the experience for your, for your clients? How, how can we create a, a mobile application in the case of Citibank that, that a millennials that are now going to have their have a ton of different options to bank. How are we going to help you create a, an output or, or a product that's going to be something that's very unique, that's going to create a um, momentum in the market toward towards a, a part of the market that you kind of want to acquire. So we're going to take everything that's old about a bank and we're going to make it into everything new. We're going to take an old bank and make it look like a fintech. And those general attributes of, of just changing the, the client experience, I, I think, serves us well. Oh, that's great. Uh, what about some examples of sales leaders that you respect and why? Yeah, um, I, I've been like incredibly fortunate with the people that, that I've worked with. You and I before talked about like Dick Egan, you know, who's and if you have the opportunity to know Dick and work with Dick, it was the pleasure of a uh, of a lifetime. And I think from someone like that with a passion, how to how to build a business. You know, I, I think like Joe Tucci, when he, you know, came in and, and talked about more like had looked at things at the customer's eyes. I think that was really, really valuable. Like more like the empathy and some of the trusted relationship stuff that I talked about, you know, with, with like uh, Billy Scannell, uh, you know, at EMC. I, I just think, you know, there's there's passion, but you really can't teach passion. But it was more about building a, a plan and how to how to approach a market and all that. All those small things that you needed to do to build a to build a business and repeat it and repeat it was really important. How to build with, with Billy, how do you build that ecosystem around you? A lot of the things that I talked about earlier that I was that was failing at, you know, how do you how do you go and, and surround yourself with people that are gonna that are gonna help you really go in and, and be successful? You know, Carl Leschenbach, uh, you know, from VMware, uh, I just think from the amount of success that he had, the humility that he would, you know, that you would get from him and in, in your interaction and how, how customers would feel. So those are, I'm sure I left, you know, dozens out, you know, but, you know, I, I don't know if Steve Fitz was a, was a great guy, Eric Mann. So there, there's, there's plenty of leaders I had the opportunity to uh, really interact with. But those are kind of the attributes at a, at a high level. Yeah. Uh, I mean, B Billy in particular, he's kind of morphed through so many different cultures and companies and environments. Uh, I've told him he should write a book on how to, you know, su su survive and thrive. And it's right. Crazy. Right. So, right. But again, with him, it's always been, it's, it's been a process. It's been, you know, a repeatable process. Uh, it's been having, you know, you know, getting the heft of an organization behind the selling effort. Right. And that, that kind of makes it, makes it a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what about, uh, certainly things have changed in the, uh, sales world. What about your view on the importance of, uh, sales ops and rev ops? Uh, as I took on my roles at, at, uh, at Green Plum and Pivotal, where I was in that, you know, national role, I, I, I really, no one had to convince me that sales ops was really, really important. When I came into those roles, it was, it, it was hugely important. I couldn't have run those businesses without really strong involvement from, from sales ops and from, from business ops. I mean, these were partners that, you know, could help, you know, with 
you know, crunch the data and help with, you know, not, not predictive models, but let's talk about what we think we can get done in a 90 day or a six month cycle. And that's what data do we have out there that, that we can learn from? How can, you know, how can we, how can I represent on behalf of, you know, the America's business to the executive staff, you know, what we're, what we're predicting from a revenue standpoint and have some accuracy to it. Uh, you know, so that element was, is absolutely um, essential. And also think from a, um, you know, from a, uh, about talent evaluation standpoint, I would rely on, on that function like very consistently. Like, okay, tell me, tell me who are the leaders that are out there that are doing things correctly. Tell me like your interaction with these people all the time yeah. as well. Like, give me like who's being really productive and who's doing the right thing and who's not. Right. Uh, and so I, I think having another set of eyes or ear, ears on the, on the field and then trying to figure out, you know, who the, you know, who the, you know, the, the people that were, really doing the right thing in a big way. Like how, how did the help me figure out who was standing out there and, and who was maybe not doing as much as I thought that they were. Yeah, that's great. And uh, it's a small segue, but Alexander group, I, I know you've not actually used them directly, but I think you said you've uh, attended some of the uh, uh, webinar events that we've done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they've been great. I mean, I, I think they provide a, a, a really good um, forum for like discussion of, of, of you know, I've, I've been on with them to mostly around compensation discussions and, and how you go when the market's thriving and people you're trying to you know, hire the right people. And I know Rachel asked questions about that before, but how do you determine who to bring on? How do you, you know, structure a compensation plan that's responsible, uh, that's fair, that's responsible, that provides, you know, some incentive to people. So they've been uh, they have a really good overview, you know, a very calm way of delivering data in a very you know rational way of delivering data so it's been uh the, when i've had that interaction it's been very positive right good uh good shout outs there so um for those on we have andy o'brien from open legacy uh, lots of great nuggets that we're getting here uh feel free to uh, chime in on the comments with uh any questions uh you can see us or hear us uh, we cannot see you but definitely can see uh anything that you post so any uh questions or comments uh feel free so, Andy, what about any mentors that you've had and advice that you've uh, received? Um, I, I kind of mentioned that to, I mean, Paul Moritz, you know, in my mind, just like that interaction I had with him. It was at the, at the point in time where I just needed a lot of that to, in terms of a, a cultural standpoint. Um, I also had a great mentor in Tom Heiser, who was my first boss at, at, at EMC. And I, I don't know if Tom's been spoken to this group before, but I remember as I was trying to, this is actually, this is coming out of that discussion that I talked about earlier, where it had no self-awareness of how I was behaving. And I was really trying to work on that and, you know, and use it like being impatient was a really big, you know, character default for me or defect for me. And I, I remember, you know, talking to Tom about it and, you know, Tom saying, Andy, you know, and Tom was, if those of you who don't know Tom, Tom is like, is crazy passionate and probably displays, you know, some impatience at times. But I remember him saying, listen, you know, why, um, you know, have you ever seen, like, who do you look up to? I'm like, Joe Tucci. He's like, have you ever seen Joe Tucci be impatient or, or like, lose his mind or get angry? And I'm like, I haven't. I had the fortunate experience of spending being with Joe a lot. And Tom's like, I'm with Joe, like, every like every week for hours a week. And he's like, I've never, ever seen that guy, like, lose his, lose his patience. So, you know, Tom was a, was a person that I, that I think we shared a passion and probably shared a, you know, a, a, a bit of uh, impatience in our in our personalities. And I think having somebody that I knew kind of shared that and kind of point things to me that were pretty um, easy for me to understand and point to examples that were pretty easy to internalize. I think that was uh, and, and I'm going to shout out to, uh, to to Peter uh, if he's if he's on. I, I think just like kind of slowing down and being patient. Uh, is another way, you know, as you know, from my you know, standpoint, you always as a type A salesperson, you want to like go, 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 right. but to be like, hey, take a pause, understand what's going on around you, you know, whether it's in your whether you're in a selling cycle or whether you're in a, a larger decision, if you're an employee decision or a building decision, like like take a pause, really understand, be thoughtful about about you know what your what your next steps are going to be. And again, you know, how are you being what value are you bringing to that interaction? What how are people feeling about that interaction? So I think that like slowing down pieces is important too. Yeah, definitely. Take, take your breath. So uh, Rachel uh, from Alexander Group says that sounds like it's her colleague that was with Pivotal when you were there uh, years ago. Thanks for the comments. 
And then uh, Eric asks, uh, what does your one, three and five year revenue ramp look like? Uh, so if you, you don't have to say exact numbers if you don't, maybe percentages. Uh, what parts of the overall open legacy team are integral to making it happen? <laughs> Probably um, yeah, so our so I don't think we have a five year plan. I don't think we really have a three year, three year plan. You know, I think our, our one year plan uh, is to you know get over you know, fifty percent growth, which is uh, you know in this market it may not seem like it's like this outstanding growth, but for us it would be a, a really big achievement from the from right. the standpoint that, that we're at. Um, so I think having realistic goals is really, really important. And if we are able to achieve that, that's something that we would be really proud of. Um, and then, you know, the overall team, it's kind of, you know, I, I equate a lot of stuff back to, to, to Pivotal in terms of the stage that we're at. You know, who are the, you know, who are the your colleagues, your teammates that are going to be involved in making that happen? Like, how are you going to get as many eyes and ears on an opportunity as you can? Like, we're a small groups so and we need to go into qualified opportunities and we need to execute really, really well. So how are you going to get, you know, the, the, the pre-sales technical team? How are you going to get the customer success team? How are you going to get all those people, like, working together on um, on these opportunities? So oh. the answer is really the kind of everybody. That's great. So uh, usually within the first uh, week, we get between uh, probably 3,000 and I think 20,000 views. So for those that are watching, uh, what would be maybe your top kind of three or four nuggets in terms of uh, sales success ideas? Um, I would think that uh, like spending time qualifying your opportunities um, you know, depending on, on the, on the market that, that you're in, like really understanding what you're, you know, what you're bringing to, you know, to the market and what problem that you're solving for a client and what that interaction with the client looks like. Uh, because if you're, if you're selling a piece of software, like, like we're selling where it's going to be very involved, you can't afford to spend time in areas where you're not going to be successful. So, you know, how do you get it? If your success rate is, is one out of 10, you know, how do you, you know, take that, that one win and kind of do that reverse engineering perspective. Okay, what are the, what were the elements of that win that made it successful? So that when you're, what are the attributes of that? So as you're going and you're looking for other qualified opportunities that you're going in with a better understanding of of the uh, of the persona and the uh, you know and the elements of a, of, a, of a client's stack or business problem that you can be more successful in. I would say so that qualification and dequal and disqualifying when when you yeah. it's not there like just get away from it right. Um, that would be one, you know, number two, uh, you know, getting the, the, the larger group involved, you know, at the end of the day, as, as, a, as an individual contributing salesperson, like your commission check doesn't change if you had, you know, if you did it on your own, if you had 10 people involved, so get 10 people involved and get them in the, you know, in the, in the boat with you. Um, that would be another element. And, uh, that also goes with partners. So if you're selling into into enterprise clients, enterprise clients have a lot of partners that they're dealing with. So what can you learn from the partner community? How you, can you build relationships relationships there? Um, you know, Joe Tucci used to uh, you know really you know focus in on knowing your brief. Like, what do you know about your technology? And you know, making sure that you can speak to it in a in a really you know uh, you know fairly intricate way, and and really make that you know that connection to a technologist. So that you're viewed as a as a as a value add when you're going into these conversations. So those are just a couple of things that pop pop up. Great. And in in, in the book, just to highlight a couple of those things, uh, Kevin Haverty from ServiceNow, his is something to the effect of uh, kind of don't be the lone wolf, meaning you know use all the resources you can to get anything done. And then uh, I think it was Peter McKay that says, um, you know, kind of say no fast, meaning yeah. yeah figure out the deals, you know, not, not, not to pursue instead of, you know, kind of hanging out. Oh, I got to, got to, got to. And if you don't have good chances, cut your losses and focus on something that's more in the sweet spot, like you said in the right. beginning. So. And then one thing I add to that for sales leaders, I think as we were building, what I learned at, at a lot of pivotal was we, we, we had the back financial backing of EMC and VMware. So when we were scaling our organization from very yeah. small to very large, you know, hiring people, but, you know, kind of failing fast in that regard, like not being like a jerk about it or, or non or unthoughtful about it, but really just understanding. Or do you, have you brought people into the organization that have the have, that are in a position to, to succeed quickly? And if, and if if yes, let's double down. If not, let's find yep. a position for them to to move on to. So kind of failing fast in that in that regard. 
Yeah, absolutely. Really, really cool. Um, I was going to ask something else, but I totally forgot. Anyway, so um, just as we're getting to the end here, you've been great. Anybody else who wants to chime in with any comments or questions, please feel free. So if uh, Nora were on, he would ask, uh, and we've certainly been through a lot, a lot together, but if there's any uh, PG Randy story you want to share. Sure. Uh, there's lots. Uh, but we were chatting before when, uh, so we're, we're early on in EMC, our first couple of months, and we came down to to the Meadowlands in uh, New Jersey, where the you know sports stadium to see uh, Bruce Springsteen play in concert. And uh, it was a Sunday, so we had a like the plan was after this concert, we're going to get in the car and, and drive drive back to Boston. And I, I came out in my car, my Toyota Corolla had the window smashed and it had absolutely everything in the in the car stolen. My my radio, my you know my laundry that my mother had just cleaned for me my drive you have the removable radios right the removable radio which I, I think i pulled out and put under my seat uh yeah. and uh anyway so randy was with me during during that period and we had to drive to my girlfriend now my wife's house and do all the cleanup and uh you know try to get ourselves back up to uh to natick mass that by the by the beginning of business the next morning so i remember we, we crashed at Suzanne's house and got yeah, up at yeah. four o'clock in the morning to get back up to EMC by, uh, you know, by, by business open. Randy was my partner in crime, but was the what? recipient of crime in that degree. Yeah. But then the back end of the story was Dick and Maureen. Yeah. So I, uh, I literally had been with the company like, like a month or two and, uh, Dick Egan had heard the story and uh, pulled me into his office and, uh, he's like, Hey, Obi, because I heard that, uh, you know, you got some things stolen out of your car, including your briefcase. And he goes, you know, if you thought enough to bring work home, you know, I thought enough to buy you a new briefcase. So he hands me this new briefcase, which is way nicer than the one that I had. And he's like, just don't tell anybody that I did this. I'm like, no problem, Dick. It's in the vault. And uh, <laughs> I think like 10 minutes later, I'm talking to like Rick Mojic, you know, and I'm like, you won't believe what Dick just did. And like Dick walks by and like sees me and just kind of like shakes his head. But <laughs> I think but again, Maureen got you a shirt and tie too, if I remember right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, that was. I, that was. That was about as PG as I can get, Randy. There you go. All right, great. Uh, anyway, so you've been fantastic guests. Thanks so much. Lots of great nuggets. So really appreciate it. And uh, thanks to Alexander Group for being our sponsor. Uh, next week uh, we've got episode number eighty-three. Uh, Sean Foster, who's the CRO of uh, Anomaly, so that'll certainly be great. And uh, for those that are interested in looking at any past sessions or future, you can just go to the public site, salescommunity.com. If you uh, click on the uh, kind of graphic picture on the main site once, you'll see the uh, upcoming guests, which right now I think we're booked out till end of July 2023. And then if you click a second time, you can go see uh, any of the past guests uh, as well. So uh, Andy, this is uh, certainly has been a great one. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks, Randy. And uh, thank you, Tucker, too. Tucker's uh, behind the scenes. So uh, Tucker, as always, thank you so much. <laughs> always something uh, that, that happens, it seems, technology-wise. But he, he's here to save us. So all right, everybody, have a great uh, rest of the week. And uh, please feel free to uh, uh, tell others about this. And uh, Tucker gets it posted all different uh, kind of social, social medias. <laughs>